Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas, with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in to today's episode, episode 59, episode 59. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, with my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, we're about to hit the big 60 mark, man. I know, I know, man. It's great. It is great, and... We have our sponsor, but Josh, we were talking offline, and 60 episodes, we've been looking at the, at the download numbers internally, and the show is just growing so fast, and we're so thankful. Um, so here's what we want to do. We're going to give away, a, I think, a Visa gift card. I don't know if we're actually going to probably just do a, a mail, email link or maybe send you a physical Visa gift card, but we'll get you a $50 Visa gift card if you go and leave us a five-star review in iTunes. Um, now, you can't click the five-star. I mean, you can click the five-star button to go away, but we don't know who does that. So if you click the five-star button and then leave a sentence or two, hey, the show's great, Ryan's really smart, You know, Josh is an idiot, that works. That all works under the five-star banner, and you will be entered to win. This drawing goes until the end of, well, we'll say a month from now, Josh, so we'll say uh, we'll shut it off June 11th. Um, and if we get to, we have 12 written reviews. So if we get 20 written reviews between now and then, you will be entered to win. And then also the previous, uh, 12 will also be entered. So, um, if we have a total of 32 written reviews, we will give away a $50 Visa gift card. Um, we'll, we'll get raffle copter or some kind of sweepstakes thing like that and let them do the drawing. We won't do it ourselves, obviously. Um, and, um, so I'm excited, Josh. Thank you to the fans. I mean, if you guys knew the percentages Behind the scenes of the show is growing. It's really, really exciting. We're really thankful. Uh, it helps us get on better guests. It helps us do all kinds of things that hopefully brings you guys better content and quality. We get emails from the listeners. We love all that stuff. Please, 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 you are a part of the show. Ryan at globalenergyme.com. Let us know what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, what you might want to see. Um, if you notice, we kind of tweak the show over time, and that's because of feedback. You know, the Texas Roundup, one of the things that we get we talk to listeners is, hey, we really like hearing just kind of the, the hit of the story. Hey, this, 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 and this, the, you know, four or five things, two or three things, whatever it is for my week. And so the Texas Roundup is crafted because we've heard so many listeners say they like that. Now, if you don't like it, tell us. If you want to incorporate something else, tell us. So anyways, we want to thank our listeners, and we'd like to do that, but we don't know who you are. So here's how we do that. 20, 20 more reviews on iTunes. you got to have some kind of written and five stars, and you will be entered to win. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, Ryan, I think we are. Uh, I think we hit 32, uh, 32 reviews in general. Uh, I believe we hit that this week. We had one. Someone I think came in and, and uh, posted a five star, no written, but a five star review. Whoever that was, we appreciate it. And uh, Ryan, I believe we have a, a guest that's going to be coming on shortly today. I'm excited to to, yeah. to speak with him. Uh, yeah, we did. Everything. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Josh. Sorry. I was about to say everything seems to be lined out. We checked with him uh, this morning, and I believe he's going to be coming on the show here here shortly. Yep, yep, uh, Joe Dancy. If you're not following him on LinkedIn, you really need to. Uh, that's how I don't, I don't remember how I found him on LinkedIn, but um, I came across him somehow and uh, follow his stuff. He posts a lot of interesting stuff. So excited to have him on. But first, let's thank our sponsor, Josh, which is Drilling Info. Speaking of free money, they are giving you free money. All you have to do is go to globalenergymedia.com slash courthouse. That's globalenergymedia.com slash courthouse. And if it's your first time, you get a free $100 right there. Bang, free hundy right there by just going to globalenergymedia.com slash courthouse and signing up. It doesn't cost you anything. And we talk about helping the show out, Josh. It helps us out because it makes us look like, hey, uh, there's more than two people listening to the show. So it's really good. If you go, we don't get paid off that, obviously, but we do appreciate you signing up. It helps our sponsor out, helps us out. Everyone wins. It's free hundred bucks. Um, you know, what's it, what's going to hurt you? But let's talk about um, a couple things, Josh. I got this event, this crawfish bowl, May 24th. Excited about that. If you haven't signed up, you need to. If you're looking to sponsor, potentially, Ryan at GlobalEnergyMe.com. I think they're looking for one or two sponsors. I'm working on a deal with the company to to sponsor maybe some, some adult beverages. Um, we'll see how that goes. And... Um, it's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. Pudge Rodriguez will be there. I'll be there. Josh won't be there. That's kind of what you're looking for in a good party. Um, Crawfish <laughs> will be there. All the elements that you're looking for will be there. And so, um, it'll be on Colonial, the 13th hole. It's gonna be great. Uh, Kristen from Old Country Media, she'll be there. So it's really excited about that. Thank you to the folks at YPE for having me. It's a true honor. Um, we got that, Josh and. Dude, we've got a lot of guests coming up over the next few weeks. Uh, I we few do. Weeks, next month or two. 
we do. I mean, the guests are, are starting to pile in. I mean, we, we, we have almost filled up all the way to uh, the end of July, if I'm not mistaken. I think we have a couple couple open. Um, Brian, yeah. I wanted to mention, too, we did get some questions in uh, last week, I believe, but uh, we need some more questions. If anybody has any questions about pretty much anything Texas-related, uh, send those to Ryan at globalenergymedia.com. We need the questions. We need some questions for next month for sure. Yes, yes, yeah. So we do have – we have on Joe Dancy this week. Um, next week – who do we got, Josh, next week? Is that Pink Petro next week? Um, mm, let's see. We have – I'm trying to think. we got we got Pink Petro coming up, um, and then we've got um, – but David Blackman's coming on. We've got uh, Railroad yeah. Commissioner Wayne Christian coming on. Um, let's see here. I got my schedule. Yeah, uh, so Katie from uh, Pink Petro will be on next week. And then the next week's the Crawfish Bowl. And the week after that, I'll be out of town, so we probably won't have, we won't have any guests that week. We'll just be me and Josh. That's first Friday, so if you want your questions, like Josh said. And then we have... And after that, Ben Ritchie will be after that. Was he in June or July? Okay, I know he's coming on June. So we've got Ben Ritchie. Um, no, Ben's in July. So we got Ben July. That's right, July 13th. I think yeah. David's in like June 15th, then Wayne Christian. So we've got, like Josh says, we've got guests that are just piling up, excited about that. So anyways, ramble about that too long, Josh, I'm sure. But let's, let's, <laughs> let's go ahead and get into the show or whatever we got next. Okay. All right. Well, uh, some big news hit this week, Ron, was uh, obviously the Iran nuclear deal. Trump and uh, you, basically the U.S. have pulled out of this Iran deal. Anytime something like this happens, uh, whether whether from fact or just emotional responses, you see oil prices start to fluctuate some. You see responses in, in some of the markets. So a uh, couple of articles that I pulled up, uh, one of them is Texas-specific, one of them is more political, and the other one is just looking at it from a from a uh, from you know the, the whole country perspective, not just a Texas perspective. It's looking at how oil is going to be responding to some of these nuclear deals and how it has responded so far this week. So, Ryan, I know you've been following this pretty closely. Um, yeah. We we look at U.S. crude surges three uh, percent to three and a half year high uh, once that Iran uh, deal went through this week. Is I mean we see this pretty pretty common when anything happens over there. Oil prices tend to go up some. Uh, is this something that, that you think is – is this more of a, a conservative approach or a conservative response from what you've seen in the last few years? I mean, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting because this – I don't want to say this is going to be the tipping point, but it's going to be interesting to see because, you know, a few months back, maybe on the show, one of the other shows I'm doing for sure, we talked about OPEC saying that the U.S. cannot meet global demand. They can't be the swing producer. Um, and so the question is going to be at this point is, um, you know, with, 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 um, what's happened in Iran, you know, can the U S actually do that? There was an interesting report and I looked, I looked before we got on the show today. I have not seen it verified, but there was a rumor of a report between Mark Papa from, um, of, uh, used to be with, he's at uh, Continental Sentinel. I can't remember what he's with now. He used to be of EOG. And Harold Hamm, there was a rumor, at least, that they were, that they went met with OPEC officials in Houston this week and said, hey, yeah, we can't increase beyond where we're at. Now, here, that would be weird for Harold Hamm to be a part of that, just because he's been kind of the opposite um, with Papa. It would make sense. He's been on that on that trail. Um, so I think this is going to be interesting to see. You know, the U.S. shell producers, when the price is going to go up, they look at what's going to happen in Iran. It might give them confidence to be a little bit more robust in their drilling program uh, for the second half of the year. Uh, and so then it's going to be, will they, you know, what, what's going to happen there? Man, there? But there's a lot of things that are in favor for high prices, especially with what's going on in Venezuela. Um, I think that the second part of Josh is how much of the U.S. oil can the market really take? You know, we've got to blend our oil with a more heavier oil for most parts um, for, for, for refinery, uh, refinery purposes. So will we reach a point to where, you know, the all of a sudden, hey, yeah, you might have a country like Venezuela going down or some other country like that has a heavy crude go down, um, but the market just can't refine enough of our oil without blending it. So those are the things that I'm watching for. Um, I know that depending on who you ask, some folks think this is really good for U.S. producers, and some folks go, you know, man, I don't know if this is, going to, if this is really going to be that much of an impact on U.S. producers because of some of the, the, the blending thing. And the final thing is, we talked about on the show before, is this idea that, hey, we got to get pipelines built. And that's going to be something else to watch is, will this all of a sudden make companies 
more willing to strike deals with pipeline companies to get the product out of the ground um, because they're drilling it, they're trucking it. You know, if pipeline capacity is at maximum right now, what are they going to do? I know I'm curious what Joe thinks. I don't know. Um, I know he's, we got some stuff to talk about as well, but I'm curious to hear what he thinks about this. Yeah, you know, I'm, um, I'm looking at uh, some information that came from a professor at Texas A&M, and he was running some some studies on some of this and he is predicting that with beings that iran produces so much that saudi arabia is going to try to capitalize on opportunity to kind of fill in the gap and he's also anticipating that the you know the eagle for oil has to be a little bit higher for them to turn a profit so he's predicting that with oil prices going up you know per barrel we we're over 70 uh, he is predicting that the Eagleford is actually going to increase its activity because now it's more economical for them. Whereas right. some of that had to slow down when that when that gets below right. you know, sixty a barrel. So it's going to be it's going to be cool to see. I think just watching how everyone tries to fill in the gap, and also it's going to make people uh, wish that they had this border corpus Christi a little <laughs> bit. Exactly. Get that deal yeah. done, people. Yeah. Uh, Trump. Whoever yeah. get it done. Yeah. Hey, uh, the final thing is, I, I, when I when I see these debates, this is a very technical debate. I'm definitely not the person to to speculate on this. Just when I, when I watch the people who are actually smart enough to talk about this, um, what they get into, and this is it's kind of one of these things, Josh, where you, you watch one of these th- these discussions, and it's it's pretty advanced, and so you go, man, I'm trying to just, you know, a lot of times you can watch a discussion, and go, okay, this is a good point, it's a good point. Here it's a little bit different because when they start talking about, you know, not all oil is the same, okay? So then they start talking about the different types of oil and how much the market can absorb. You know, well, I don't have those, I mean, those numbers are out there, but I don't have those numbers readily available going, okay, this refinery can take this much type of oil and it's got to blend it with this oil, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So when you look at all this, there's some simple logical steps that you could say. This is, well, the prices go up. Some of these eagle for whales that are more gas than they are oil, they become more profitable. Therefore, more production comes online. Therefore, it will make up some of the market capacity. That makes a lot of sense to me. I don't have any problem with that. Um, the The question that, that's being batted around on some level is um, how much can the market absorb of the U.S. oil without being able to blend it? And that, when they, when they start talking about that, I, I love those discussions, but it's a very interesting discussion. It's one that... It feels like we don't have regularly. Everyone kind of knows that's a fact that we have to blend our oil, but but I don't you know the you know what's the ratio you know what how does it work? Um, there was a, a story a few weeks out that maybe there's too much of our oil on the market is being discounted. Um, so it's it's a really fascinating thing. It's kind of one of those things when I hear these stories, I'm like, yeah, generally it's good, um, but that doesn't. So I'll, I'll wrap up with this. In theory the price could go up and U.S. producers could produce more oil. Um, but that doesn't mean that they could stop the price from going up. So just because the U.S. producers, which is good for us in Texas, right, um, they're, they're, they're doing more, it doesn't mean that they can produce enough to stop the price from going up because they can't meet global demand. Um, they can't yep. be the swing producer. Um, and then there's also these issues about, you know, Actually, how much more drilling locations that we have are good and easy and affordable. This high price thing, I think, would kind of fix that because if the price is $100 a barrel, you can drill in some rough locations because the price is a lot better. Anyways, so it's going to be interesting to see. I think that from the U.S. US standpoint, it's going to be good as as prices go up. A lot more things can come back online. A lot more wells can come back online. Some more risky wells can get get drilled. And at the end of the day, I don't know if that will actually solve – the demand issue. That's a separate. So I think those are two separate discussions, if that makes sense. Well, we're excited today to have on a guest, Professor Dancy. He's the executive executive director of Oklahoma Energy Center. Uh, Mr. Uh, Professor Dancy, glad to have you on the show today, buddy. How's it going? Well, thanks a lot. Doing, doing uh, very well up here in uh, Oklahoma. You, you seem to travel a lot. You're, you're based out of DFW, but you're up in Oklahoma, working at the University of Oklahoma. You're you're a busy man with a very active LinkedIn profile, if I do say so myself. Well, thank you very much. I'm, I am a Texan, but I work at uh, University of Oklahoma, and uh, it's pretty exciting because most of the oil and gas activity is uh, located both the Permian Basin, Eagleford in Texas, and then uh, you come up here and it's a scoop and stack, and of course, you know, you have the folks up north in North Dakota. We won't talk about them, but uh, you know, that's the other big active basin lately. And uh, so it's been exciting times. Lots of interesting, dynamic stuff going on in the energy sector. Okay, real quick, we're going to talk about um, 
the Interstate Oil and Gas Compact Commission. But first, kind of tell us um, what that is for the listeners who might know, how you got involved with it. And then real quick, isn't Jackie from the Jackie Daily Show, isn't she on this as well? I, she may be, I'm not sure, but the, uh, the Interstate Oil and Gas Compact Commission it was formed really Governor Marlin back in the day in the 30s when there was so much oil, uh, the East Texas oil field got discovered and oil went from $1.35 to like five cents a barrel. And so all the states got together and they said, you know, we need to get together to somehow control the prices to make sure that it's at least somewhat stable and the production operations are uniform. We, we aren't flooding the market. And so uh, we have a compact commission that's uh, composed of 37 states. The governors and their aides uh, or appointments uh, are the, the people um, that actually are appointed to the commission. I was appointed uh, actually back in the day back by Governor Nye of Oklahoma and Governor Buck Bellman of Oklahoma. And then I moved to Texas and uh, Governor Bush at the time, uh, former President Bush, uh, appointed me, and I'm still a Texas member. So formally, I'm up here in Oklahoma, but I'm a a member of the Interstate Oil and Gas Compact Commission on the um, for Texas, and our representative, uh, main representative, is Commissioner Christian, who's the Texas Railroad Commissioner. But what they do is they meet twice a year and discuss from the regular regulator standpoint. And they have regulators, they have academics like me, and they have industry people, and they have mineral owners, and you all have to be appointed. You can attend any meeting. It's open. You just have to pay the fee to the registration. Uh, they talk about current activities, and, and this time they had a meeting here in Oklahoma City this week, and they discussed some of the issues, one of which is water. And you don't think about it, but as we are going with these longer and longer wells, the, they use more and more water, and especially in western Oklahoma and western Texas, the Permian Basin. I mean, to, to give you a, a, a concept of this, Ryan, it's uh, 10 years ago, we might have used 15,000, 15,000 uh, barrels of water to frack a well. Now we use 400 to 500,000, which is uh, you know, about uh, you know, 30 times or 40 times more water. And obviously, you go to if you've ever been to West Texas, and I know you have, it's uh, or Western Oklahoma. There's not a lot of water, and when you are drilling as many wells as you're drilling now, the big problem from you know, both a regulatory standpoint and an operating standpoint is where do you get that water? And and when you produce the oil, generally water comes comes out with the oil. And there's some questions from a regular regulator standpoint: Is uh, you know, who owns who owns the water that comes out with the oil? Is it the person who is operating the well that has the lease? Is it the surface owner? The surface owner generally owns the groundwater, um, or is it somebody else? And uh, and from a regulator standpoint, of course, you know what they want to see is the efficient development of oil and they also want to protect the water so they don't want to see a bunch of water being wasted if we can reuse it and the problem that you get into is the water that's produced is usually really really salty i mean like two or three or four times as salty um at seawater and so when you use it for oil field operations when you refract using really salty water, it doesn't work real well because and I don't know it's all chemistry and stuff, and they're you know, they're putting in sand, and, and sand is another issue <laughs> that uh, the regulators have focused on. But water is is a concern, and the fact is there's going to be you know a lot of activity dealing with sourcing water and recycling water and trying to find enough water to keep um, everybody in operations in western Texas and actually Oklahoma and Kansas for that matter and in New Mexico. New Mexico is in, in the same boat. And in, in addition to all that, this is sort of an operating issue. You know, a lot of our equipment, our fracking equipment, I mean, if you ever run on a frack job, I mean, they, these engines are like, you know, they're like NASCAR on steroid engines. I mean, they're just incredible. And they'll have, you know, numerous, a dozen of them out there pumping this stuff miles underground, um, and it, it uh, the, the equipment, because of the demands on the equipment and just the economics, 
you know, the big slump we've had the last three years. It's, we're recovering now, but a lot of the equipment that uh, the new equipment or the equipment brought out of uh, storage is, um, you know, it needs to be serviced. It's just like a NASCAR. You know, you run it in a race and it needs to be serviced. And uh, there's a shortage of and a concern about the equipment, you know, not having enough equipment. It's not, you know, being maintained properly. So there's not enough completion rigs out there and pumps. And there's actually not enough people, too. That's the other issue. It's like, you know, you go out to Midland or you come up here in Oklahoma and these jobs are good jobs, but, you know, they're, you know, it's not like you live in Oklahoma City and you go, you know, you, you take a half-hour commute and go to the office and go home. They're, they're where the well's located. So getting the people and getting them housed and getting them paid and, you know, having them pass a drug test and everything else and then having them stay around and you decide you know, after a couple months of doing that that, geez, you know, I'd rather go back to the city and, you know, have a more normal type life. But um, anyway, those are some of the major concerns. And I, and I guess I, I did mention sand also. And it's interesting. There are a whole bunch, I mean, a whole bunch of new sand mines opening up, especially in Texas. Because what had occurred was a lot of the sand was being brought down from Wisconsin. Because the sand up there is round, it's very crush-resistant, it, you would think sand is pretty boring, but you sit and listen to these engineers, and they'll talk for an hour about you know the size of the sand, the ductile strength of the sand, the crushability of the sand, the shape of the sand. And when you're injecting this stuff, you know a mile underground, you have a, a miles worth of um, formations above you. And so this Wisconsin sand was perfect, you know, except that. We used so much of it, it got to the point, 10 years ago, we might have used 10 train boxcars of sand. You know, today, we use a unit train, which is 100 boxcars um, in some wells, which is a, a mile-long train per well. And to get that down, and actually to get it the last mile from the train to the well, is a problem. And so what a lot of companies did, it's like, gee, we'll buy our own sand mines. I mean, the joke of some of these companies that I've been involved with is, you know, if you're a geologist and, you know, you're having problems finding oil, they'll, they'll move you over to the sand department and let you find sand in West Texas. <laughs> right. And um, <laughs> anyway, but these, the, the, the Texas sand, there's a big debate, and I've heard two um, arguments, one of which is the Texas sand is nowhere near as good as Wisconsin sand. And, uh, and I've also heard arguments that the Texas sand, you know, is equal, and the big difference is Texas sand is so much cheaper. And the argument that is inferior is the fact it's not quite as apparently not quite as round, um, and not quite as it's it's uh, crushable. And uh, in any event, you know the argument is you know should an operator use the the Mercedes of our Ferrari, Wisconsin Northern White they call it or, you know, the Texas brown. Some people call it Texas dirt. Um, of course, my students said, gee, it sounds, professor, it sounds like you're talking about marijuana when you're talking about, you know, Texas brown and <laughs> northern white. And I said, well, uh, you know, that's a, that's a side uh, topic here. But uh, in any event, those are, those are two of the concerns uh, that we have, uh, Ryan. And, and uh, that's, um, you know, they had a, a number of other issues also. You know, it's interesting. We've talked, Josh, uh, God, it's been a few months about sand. Um, we talked about water just a few weeks ago. So it's good to know that we're at least getting some of the stories that are con concerned to the regulators and industry out there because uh, we have hit some of those stories and not to the depth of the crushability of the sand. <laughs> we haven't gotten in there. Um, but we have talked about, you know, this issue of, um, you know, the, you know, bringing the Wisconsin sand down, the permitting that's going on here. Um, now, you sent us a note, and I don't know if you, if we can't make this public, that's fine, but is it – can, will you link to this notes or have you linked this notes on your LinkedIn so the listeners can go back and see this or can we share it with the listeners? Is that possible? You're welcome to share it with the listeners. Okay. Uh, it's not, I haven't, I haven't posted it just cause I don't, I haven't uh, spent the time, but you're welcome to share the, okay. uh, the note of the major issues that they addressed uh, this, this week. Okay. Yeah. So I will put that on my LinkedIn and professor Dancy will have his LinkedIn is there. He might have it at some point. If not, you need to follow him regardless. But uh, the, the, the number one issue that you have, and I don't know if these are ranked as important, but the first issue at least you have is you talk about 
the frac interference issue between horizontal and vertical wells. Um, now we talked about we talked we had Trent Jacobs on from Darcy Energy Partners about a month ago talking about this issue. He had written an article last year about that. Where are we at with this issue? Because we've kind of it's one of these things that we kind of hear about from time to time, and it just kind of dies off. And it's like, oh, okay, this this is still an issue. And is is it getting better? Is it getting worse? Where where are we at right now? Well, I think it is continuing, and I guess the interesting thing, you talk to the regulators, and here's what they tell you. They know it's an issue, but they say, generally, Joe, you know what, um, it generally is an argument between two operators, and it's usually for money. And for money, they generally don't go to the Railroad Commission or the Oklahoma Corporation Commission or, you know, any other commission. They go to district court. And so they, the regulators are not seeing this, you know, to the extent that may be in district court or it's being worked out privately. But I, I do, you know, the, the, the term, and I love this to students, I tell them, gee, here's a term if you go to a party and you want to impress people, you know, tell them, gee, you know, what are you studying in oil and gas law? And it's like, well, I'm studying frack, frack bashing the decline curve, which essentially <laughs> just says, you know, when you have a frack and you have a decline curve, which is your, your, your reserves, um, when you impact the offsetting wells with your frack, you are, you know, essentially impacting recovery from a adjoining well. And, um, it is a problem. It's, it's a problem not only with the vertical wells in an existing field, but it's also a problem, you know, when you have horizontal wells and, and the regulators, this is where the regulators come in. It's how close do you put these, hor- allow these horizontal wells to be drilled. Right. And what I heard, this week was the regulators are saying from what they've they've seen and the companies they've talked to the underground area being impacted by the fracks is much larger than a lot of people expected and so um they call them in some cases they have like there was a real one well it's called the parent well and they'll come back a year later and drill the second well the child well and they expect the child well to perform identical to the parent because it's the same rock. And what has happened is the companies come back in, drill the second well, and they end up, the second well is nowhere near as good as the first well. In, you know, the speculation is, is because, you know, the, the rock has already been impacted by the first well and they didn't expect it to be. Um, and so that's an ongoing issue um, with regard. So how close they are is one issue, how long they are is another issue. Most wells you know, are about a mile long. I think now I, I've saw the statistics and I can't remember the exact footage, but they've pretty well stopped getting any longer. And what the regulators and what the company and the engineers I talked to, you put, you know, you buy these guys a few beers and it's amazing the stuff you learn, but <laughs> the, uh, the, the length of the well is pretty much the longest uh, laterals now are about as far as they can go because of the friction forces. So regardless of how many how many, many horsepower engines you stick at the top to jam this stuff down there, the mix of sand and chemicals and water, um, when you go much past two miles, you know, ten thousand feet, it it's getting you you're it's getting much more difficult to be effective. And so it's better to drill a second well is pretty much what they're saying. So the so the regulators say you know, because I was asking them a couple of years ago, gee, you know, when we're drilling two-mile wells, like, you know, how, how far you can go drill a five-mile well? And I guess in theory you could, but the frack um, impact is limited due to the um, due to downhole friction. So, so anyway, that's yeah. The the frack well interference with the vertical wells is the issue. Um, what I've been told, sort of, oh, just between the engineers that where they're not the regulators, they say generally what happens is if you have a vertical well and you've been impacted, um, if you approach the operator, you take your operating data there and say, hey, you guys just screwed up my well. Um, you know, I want to sell it to you. And then you sell the well to, to, to the uh, horizontal well operator. Normally, the parties will have an interest in both wells. And so in most cases, the operator, if they realize, gee, our frack, impacted these vertical wells will will attempt to negotiate to buy the vertical well and all the people out so essentially you avoid a lawsuit because you get in a lawsuit and you got to hire lawyers you got to hire engineers i mean it's going to go beyond going and so it's going to be really expensive and so if you can settle it right up front 
um, and apparently a number of these are being settled right up front by the parties where vertical wells are being, um, you know, if there's damage, they've been, there's been a settlement. Uh, but I, I'm not privy to any of that. I've just been told that is something that is going on, at least here in Oklahoma. Okay, I got a two-part question, and real quick, just for the listeners again, these are uh, Professor Dancy's notes, not <clears throat> not official statements from any organization. They're just his summary, of, uh, the summary of the event. So just what I'm reading this, what I'm going to say here, uh, just to be clear. Uh, on point number five, you say, even with the drilling increases seen in some states, projected 2018 capital expenditures will be 45% below the 2014 peak level, according to core laboratories. They forecast that domestically we will drill 18,000 fewer wells than in 2014, will add around 1 million barrels per day to production. Efficiencies, technological advances, and the fact that many companies are drilling Tier 1 acreage explain how fewer wells can increase production. So I've got kind of a two-part question here that kind of go two different directions, and maybe we can uh, wrap this into one big answer here. So the the, the first question is, um, we've talked on this show a lot about um, the old way we track numbers as far as the labor force goes. And I think last week we looked at a report from, was it, I think it was Tipro, Josh? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Tipro. Tipro. And they, they, they listed the, the jobs and at the end, and I'm, this isn't, we said last week we're not bashing on Tipro. They, they're just taking the government jobs and saying, hey, these are the codes that relate to government jobs. It feels like now, Professor Dancy, that we're at a point that we need, as oil and gas, we're, we're almost kind of scaring people because you said, hey, uh, a few minutes ago, we're, we're trying to find labor and it's hard. Some of these, uh, locations are hard and we keep coming out with statistics that says that you know the the the, the labor force is down but it seems to me the way the uh, the market works is is as we become more efficient we add new jobs that are different jobs and so these jobs are probably not being classified as oil and gas jobs so i think the efficiency numbers are good but is there a way that we can message this a little bit better to the labor forces? Hey, that yeah, we are the traditional jobs. Those are down. But now we're creating new jobs that were never there before. They're more exciting. They're different. Um, we still have the old school jobs. And the second question is, how do we look at these numbers when you say that we're going to add a million barrels um, to production with the, um, with the decrease in drilling? As we talked about before you got on with the Iranian news um, and Venezuela news and all this stuff, you know, we were talking about blending oil and all this. Where do you think that Texas especially will fit into the rest of this year as prices will probably rise? Um, can the shale producers kind of be that swing producer? Or do you think the demand is just going to kind of overtake um, what the shale producers can do? Yeah, two good questions. i tell you what on the jobs uh, issue. It, it's interesting, especially when you talk to like drilling engineers who even just retired like five years ago. And they will tell you, you know, they go, well, Joe, if we went back on a rig, it would be like we were walking into a spaceship. Because, they, you know, there's, the, the technological advances have occurred so quickly and are continuing to occur that, um, <laughs> that you know, we would they, we'd understand, you know, 70% of what going, what's going on. But um, the evolution of jobs, not only drilling engineers, but everything, everything is getting more and more technologically driven. So a lot of these jobs require at least some skills, and I know I, I know this is an issue that a number of organizations have looked at. I know Commissioner Christian with the Texas Railroad Commission, he actually um, is chairing some type of committee to try to uh, place or find, you know, people want a good technology job in the energy sector to try to get their skills and and get the companies who want to hire them together so that we can place because the economy is doing a lot better than a lot of people think it's not easy to find skilled people who are reliable um you know unless you you know and that goes to sort of oil field service cost inflation you have to pay for them and mm-hmm. actually we had a a wireline uh, owner of a wireline company here at the university of oklahoma uh, to speak about a month ago, and he said, you know, you fly in the Midland, Texas airport, and he goes, you drive by my my shop, and he goes, I have 12 wireline trucks, and he goes right by that, and he goes, you drive right by it when you go to the airport, and he goes, you'll see five of them are sitting out in the lot, and he goes, it's not because we don't have the work, he goes, I could keep all five, he goes, I need 12-man crews for each truck, and he goes, you know, I can only, I only have seven of them working, and so five of them are sitting there waiting for people, um, so that's, indicates that uh, you know, their jobs, and of course, you, know, you go to Midland, and it's, oh, it's such a dynamic city because of the activity, 
Um, but the cost of living there is not, and just finding, you know, shelter, et cetera. So if you're a company or an employee or a potential employee, and actually I tell you know, the market for lawyers is, is much more difficult than it was 10 years ago. And I tell you know, one of my students, you know, gee, if you really want to go somewhere um, where there's opportunities and probably a lot of people, you know, particularly lawyers would not, you know, I'd go to Midland, Texas and, and, you know, practice oil and gas law and do title work or do whatever, you know, whatever. Uh, uh, so, so to answer your first question, I, yeah, I agree. There's, there's, there's the technology has made everything, um, much more efficient. I guess that goes into the second question too, with regard to we're drilling less wells and we're getting more oil. Um, the problem is, as you know, Brian, is the um, decline curve on a lot of these wells is pretty severe. The unconventional wells versus, you know, back in the day, I used to, I, I cut my teeth working for Kerr McGee back in the day when I got out of school and we'd drill, we'd drill five wells, uh, two would be dry, you know, one would be marginal, and then we'd have a couple of decent wells. But the decline curve, the decent wells, you know, they would last. You know, the decline maybe five percent per year if you, you know. But the the shale wells decline so much faster. So we have to continue to drill and ramp up. And what's interesting, um, and most people don't realize this, the efficiencies, the gains that we have seen for the last five years, it was like every year the the wells would get you know, 10 to 15 percent better um, over the last 12 months. Those efficiencies have stopped. They've actually declined. The current wells, the current unconventional wells, are not quite as good as the ones a year ago. Which means, as production declines, we're going to have to use more and more drilling, more and more completion. There's arguments also that a lot of companies, for financial reasons, are going up and they're drilling their best acreage, which you know, Mark Papa, who's an executive, calls it tier one acreage. And he says, you know, we have tier one acreage, we have tier two acreage, we have tier three, which are you know, the two and three are not as good. And part of the part of the increase in production is due to the fact that we are using more water, using more sand, but we're drilling up our best stuff. And so you know, as we go forward and we see the decline curves, um, the other problem with all this, especially in the Permian, is the pipeline capacity to get the oil out and actually the natural gas. I, I will tell you the regulators are also concerned about flaring. Um, North Dakota, they said, you know, they're, North Dakota regulators are much more comfortable today than they were several years ago because a lot of gas pipelines have been put in. Same thing in the Permian, although the Railroad Commission people were telling me you know, there's still too much flaring going on in the Permian because you have this oil and the oil shut in unless you, you know, you produce it and flare the gas. But there's more and more gas systems are being put in out there. But just to move with the increase in volumes of oil, for example, um, to get that to market, I don't think we don't we're not the swing producer um, if we lose Venezuela, which I think production there will continue to decline. Mm-hmm. Iran was just sort of icing on the cake. And quite frankly, um, the, at the beginning of the year, we put out a report, uh, and I forecast $72 average West Texas Intermediate um, for the year. At the time, uh, the price was in the mid-50s, and people were like, wow, that's in, in the major banks were all saying, well, maybe you know, 55 would, would average for the year. And um, the supply and demand metrics right now even without Iran and even without the Venezuela issues are very, very bullish. The, the inventories are declining. I mean, I, you know, currently as we speak, oil is roughly about $70 a barrel. West Texas Intermediate, I expect it to go much higher for the rest of the year. I continue to think that it will, it will um, average $72 or more uh, for the year. Hopefully, finally, we won't have a spike because when you have spikes, you have all sorts of inefficiencies. You have, you know, people who shouldn't be in the oil business jumping in <laughs> and people who shouldn't work in the oil business. You know, and it's very, your efficiencies go way down when you get a bunch of oh, yeah. untrained, unskilled people. And, and, and you know, it's happened before. Um, but, uh, and I've read enough, there are a number of analysts within the last month who have come out who are saying the probability of a spike is, you know, over 100 um, 
has increased substantially. And I, I can't disagree with them just because of the political, you know, the Iranian issues, the Venezuelan issues. Venezuela, uh, I'm almost 100% sure <laughs> they're not going to be increasing production anytime soon. It's going to continue to fall relatively substantially. Um, now, Iran is the big wild card, exactly you know, what they'll be able to produce, not be able to produce, can we avoid sanctions? Um, you know, I don't know, but I, even if they produce what they're producing now, um, the oil market's undersupplied. So we're looking, this, you know, and, I'm, and <laughs> you mentioned my LinkedIn post, I usually end with something, you know, saying 2018 is going to be a very good year, and it's going to be a very good year for oil prices. Um, natural gas is another matter, but oil prices, oil companies, oil jobs, this, this is, this is going to be one that uh, we remember for quite some time, I have a feeling. Well, Professor Dancy, um, tell us a little bit about some of the work you do at the University of Oklahoma. We know you, you're a professor there. Well, essentially, um, we have a, uh, an online program. So if you are a landman, if you're a geologist, if you're a hydrologist, you have an interest in the industry, um, if you have an undergraduate degree, it doesn't matter what your undergraduate degree is in, you can do an online, it's a 15-month program. You take contracts, property law, oil and gas, environmental law. I teach uh, oil and gas project finance, negotiations, um, we have water law, um, and a number of other midstream operations. Uh, and the program, you get a, what's called a master's in legal studies, which means you have a master's in legal studies in the energy sector. Um, you can't practice law. You have, if you want to be a lawyer, you have to come and you know, spend three years with us. But for 15 months, and, and what, Brian, what is, what's beneficial in that you can continue to work. A lot of times the companies will pay for either some or all of the tuition. And it adds to your credentials because, as you know, you know, especially if you're a geologist or engineer, you learn a little bit about the oil and gas contract and the financing and it makes you much more um, useful in my opinion to management where, you know, if you're a landman and you know something, you know, about, you know, the financing and property law and, uh, you know, title, that's where one of the classes is oil and gas title. You, you actually, you have to run title. And, and for a lot of people who've never run title, it's, it's interesting, but we did this all online. We have students um, across the nation, and uh, we actually have graduation this Saturday, tomorrow, our first two classes, and we have a total of 50, and probably probably about 25 of them are uh, landmen, probably about five are geologists, we have probably five engineers, we have five financial types, and you know, the rest are just looking, to, looking for a career in the, in the industry, which you know, gives them a foot in the door, so. So that's what we do, and it's uh, the University of Oklahoma. It's uh, it's been a lot. Of, this is a very oil-centric institution as far as education goes. And our new president uh, was is <laughs> was uh, from industry, and of course he's brought on. And, and we have our engineering college. We have our um, landman um, program over at the business school, and of course I'm at the law school. So this is the, this program I was talking about is through the law school, but. Uh, they all have all, – all the schools have good pro programs. Okay. Well, I think it's going to wrap up for today, Josh. Unless you got anything else, we'll let Professor Dancy hop out of here. Um, LinkedIn, you, you got to follow Professor Dancy on LinkedIn. Um, we will link to that in the show notes, but um, do you have a what, – what is your LinkedIn um, uh, URL, if you know off the top of your head? No, I don't know off the top okay. of my head. If they search me, they're, they're welcome to uh, follow. I do post quite a bit of uh, reports, Ryan, and so it's uh, – um, a lot of people, a lot of oil and gas reports get posted on LinkedIn that come across my desk, put it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you got some good stuff on there for sure. It's definitely a good follow on LinkedIn. We'll be sure to link. We'll find it, get the URL. You search Joe Dancy, you can probably find him. Um, if not, we will have it linked in the show notes so that the listeners can find him and go follow his stuff on LinkedIn. We'll also link to the University of Oklahoma online classes, uh, the Master in um, Legal Studies there as well. So if you want to take those, you can find that there. Anything else, Professor Dancy, we need to plug or promote before we get you out of here today? No, I just, like I say, 2018 is going to be a very, very good year for the energy sector, both Texas, Oklahoma, North Dakota, New Mexico, especially Louisiana. It's going to be, this is one of the better times to be in the, in the, in the industry. 
Well, that's good to hear, especially after uh, you know a couple years ago what we all went through and how how just brutally depressing those times were. I will let you go with this. I do agree the spike would be a bad thing. That's one thing we talk about on the show um, over and over again is, hey, this idea that people say, we want to shoot up to 100. It's like, no, that's that's bad. That's that's usually not good for the labor force. It's usually not good for people involved. And as you mentioned, there's a lot of issues in there. So I'm glad you pointed that out. That's an important that's an important thing to remember. Okay, well, look, we hope to have you on again. Really enjoyed this and hopefully bring you on uh, soon to talk about what's going on in the industry. Fantastic, Ryan. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Well, I want to give uh, another thanks uh, to Professor Dancy for coming on the show. He had uh, just incredible insights uh, into into different aspects of the industry. So I look forward to having him come on the show again, and uh, hope hope everyone enjoyed uh, kind of hearing some of his his take on the oil and gas market. Ryan, we are entering into our segment of the Texas Roundup. We have. About three pieces of news here. Um, there's two. Marathon and Vanguard have two things we wanted to talk about. But first, I have a, a cool article that I found where there was a new oil play in Moore County. Uh, this is the name of it, a Red Cave Formation. So there's going to be some work done being done in Moore County. This is the first time I've heard of this. So I'm going to keep keep up on this, Ryan, and, and keep up to speed with what's going on. But it uh, looks interesting, and hopefully, hopefully it will turn over some, some good numbers and you know, pr- provide some job, job opportunities for folks in the area. Two things. Uh, first one, Marathon acquires Louisiana Austin Chalk position at premium. Uh, it's 250,000 net acres, and it's at $900 an acre. Uh, so cool deal there. And Va- Vanguard divests Permian, Green River, and Mississippi assets for over 60 million dollars so vanguard is trying to invest some of these properties and they are going to be uh, i think trying to free up some cash so that they can make some bigger plays on some specific areas probably in the permian ryan i think that's it for the texas roundup we have the drilling info hey real one small minor correction josh on the red cave that that's that is an older play but it really hasn't been viable, and so it's it's kind of it's kind of one of those things. It's kind of uh, it's been around, but it just hasn't been viable. We talk about the prices increasing and what's going on with the efficiency technology stuff like that. That's what we're starting to see about it. So it's kind of getting the new play treatment, but it is a little bit of older play. It's just the the economics and dynamics have changed. So just one small correction there. But you haven't heard about the news in a long time, so you're you're definitely right about that. Okay, yeah. Well, it's just the way that that headlines written. So basically, it's a it's a combination of two things. It's the high oil prices and then the you know, higher efficiencies is, is uh, yeah. kind of bringing it back as a, a viable right. option. I mean, yeah, so the, I think they I think they were doing it back in the 60s or 70s mm. with not a lot of success. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's, it's one of these things where, again, we're, and we'll see these stories as the prices rise. That you'll say, hey, this, this here, this is going on there. But, um, and, and you know, the, 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 the higher the price is, the more – things that we can look at. But this is really, I think, a result of probably increasing technology and the higher prices. It's going to get some play. Um, but it's also a shallow play. It's only 1,900 to 25 feet below the surface. Um, hmm. So anyways, so anyways, that's what it is. This slight correction there. You, yeah, you, you haven't heard about it. I haven't heard about it. We did some work up at the Panhandle a few years ago, but I don't think it was up in Moore County. Uh, I do have to look. But anyways, it's, um, it is one of those things that you're kind of getting um, at least a – a refresher on, if nothing else. So, folks at the Panhandle, I'm curious. Uh, right at GlobalEnergyMedia.com, you know, when you hear the Red Cave, is it something that's been pretty active under the radar, or is it something that's, you know, it has been dead for a long period of time and it's actually come back to life? Yep. And Ryan, the rig count, uh, as cool as it is, we are, uh, you know, the rig count actually stayed stayed the same. I think it went down uh, for a couple of days during the middle of the week and came back up to exactly where it was. Uh, last week when I checked. So it's at 1099 Yeah, that's good. Interesting that he said that um, some people were saying that oil could hit $100 a barrel, a barrel this year. Um, mm. You know, it's one of those things that, boy, if we get to 100 by the you – know, we talked – if we backtrack a few months ago, we said, hey, the first half would be really good. We've nailed that prediction. It's the second half we weren't sure about. And it looks like, you know – the second half, it's it's hard to see how the second half can slow it down now. Um, if you look at the spare OPAC capacity, capacity they don't have a lot there. Um, it's really hard to see the path that slows down 
this um, this increase in production, I mean, this price increase because of the supply being depleted. I will say this, and this isn't a political thing one way or another, but but with Trump in office, we never know. <laughs> because, yeah. I mean, on one hand, he's he's juggling North Korea, Iran, and so if somehow he gets Iran and Venezuela fixed, I don't think that's, I think that's, Almost impossible, but if he pulls it off, you could see um, you could see the prices, you know, go back down. I think that's like the hell mayor of hell marys. But you know, the dude did just get some hostages out of North Korea, so you gotta give him an attaboy for that. A um, couple things before we get off here. Again, if we get to if we get twenty reviews over the next month, written reviews, written reviews, five star and written reviews. So there's two. You gotta do it two ways. You gotta hit the five star button, and you gotta write Ryan is great, Josh is terrible, something along those lines. And we get up to th- <laughs> we get up to thirty two written reviews. We don't know if you, who you are if you click the five star button, unfortunately. Um, and hey, if you're gonna do it, you might as well get you a shout out for you and your company. So go ahead and put I'm Ryan. I work for X. I love the show for this, this, and this, or or whatever you want to say. Um, get your company a shout out if you want to do that. Um, if we get thirty two reviews. $50 Visa gift card. And this is really because internally, Josh and I had a goal that we wanted to hit on this show. And we are, we've are we reached that goal. And so we are super pumped. Um, and we feel like we're just really tapping the market now. We're just getting into our own. And so thank you so much for all you've done. Also, go pick up a free $100 today, right now. GlobalEnergyMedia.com slash courthouse. GlobalEnergyMedia.com slash courthouse. And finally, pick up some crawfish tickets at the YPE Fort Worth, May 24th. I'll be there. Pudge, Rod- Pudge Rodriguez will be there. All kinds of folks will be there. You need to be there if you're a young professional in Fort Worth. Come hang out with me um, at Colonial. Josh, that's all I've got. Do you have anything else? No, that's it, man. <clears throat> okay. For Josh Shelton, this is Ryan Ray. Thanks again to Professor Dancy for coming on. Saying until next time, keep climbing. Thank you.